Hey everyone, it's Aaron Fritz and Chris Beck. We've been working on something new and exciting for our colleagues and trainees. Quick story, last year I had read somewhere that the volume of medical information doubles every 73 days. 73 days. It hit me that it's really difficult to keep up and it got me thinking about Backtable. We are getting good practical knowledge from our podcast, but there's room for improvement in them as an educational resource. We felt like we owed it to you, our audience, to build on the podcast to address this need. And that's what we're doing with Backtable Plus. Exactly, Aaron. Backtable Plus is for doctors who are seeking to elevate their practice and sharpen their skills by learning from their peers. We've created focused, curated courses on interventional and endovascular procedures vetted by Backtable's network of practicing experts. And we're really proud to be able to share that with you all. It's live now at backtable.com. Tap the link and just click on courses at the top. Yeah. In addition to getting this information in a concise course format, you get CME for it. I figured we're educating ourselves constantly online. It sure would be nice to get credit for it. Partnering with CME if I made this happen. There are three years worth of CME credits already live in the platform today. These courses are live right now. Find the link or type in backtable.com and click the tab that says courses. And that's it. We also made a mobile app and you can grab that from either Apple or Android's app store as well. Couple more things. From now until SIR in late March, users will get 50% off of the annual subscription, a great way to use your education funds. And the first 25 physicians to sign up, you guessed it, a signature limited edition Backtable Plus hoodie. Only a few of these, so get them while you can. Can't wait to see you there. Just go to backtable.com and click on courses at the top. This week on the Backtable Podcast. I think it's worth giving digital marketing a try and and just also know that if you're going to do it, commit to it because that's the only way it's going to work. And I'm not saying, you know, if, if at four months you're looking at your funnel and you're saying, gosh, we don't have anyone that's even to the MRI imaging step or no one's through a procedure. We don't have any procedures pending. Maybe for that particular procedure, maybe it's it's not worth it, you know, or maybe you should rather than trying to find UFI patients, you should try, try to find prostate artery embolization patients. But I can say almost universally, the times when we have the most success is when a clinic feels like a partner to us. And, you know, I think that's like a very specific distinction where it's we're in this together. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to continue to look at this funnel on a weekly basis. We're say, where are people getting hung up? Is it the MRI imaging step? All right. What can we do there? You know, is it is it no shows? OK, what can we do there? It really is that tight collaboration um, that I think is necessary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. This discussion is supported by Siemens Health and Years. What's one of the primary reasons outpatient care sites fail? Inadequate front-end planning. If you're planning to provide outpatient care, you need a clear, cohesive strategy a strategy that supports your unique vision for success. Siemens Health and Years is here to empower you in every care setting, every step of the way. Visit Siemens-HealthandYears.us to discover the seven key elements of a comprehensive outpatient site strategy and learn how providers leverage the specific expertise, products, and services from Siemens Health and Years to meet their outpatient care goals. take an easier way in with the Ellipsis Vascular Access System. Learn more about their minimally invasive option for AV fistula creation, how it could benefit your patients, 
and important risk information at medtronic.com slash ellipsis. Now, back to the episode. Looking forward to today's interview with the co-founder and CMO of Helped. Helped helps patients and doctors connect. And Eric's going to tell us, tell us a little bit more about the company, why he started it, and the sort of origin story with his brother, Kevin, uh, starting it together, which is really fun and, and interesting to hear about. But Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thank you uh, for having me, and thank you for continuing to create an opportunity for us all to learn. I really appreciate it. Backtable is the only uh, interventional podcast that I listen to, and so you've created something special. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And and you and I connected, God, it seems like two years ago, maybe. It's, it's definitely like Kurt, it's like Kurt in the middle of COVID, I feel like. And you were telling me about your startup and I was telling you more about Backtable and we were looking at ways to collaborate and, and on content and stuff. And and then fast forward, we both got busy and, and here we are, finally get to have you on the show. But I think it, the timing's great because now you've been doing it for a couple of years you have a lot more stories to tell, right? A lot more anecdotes and, and information to get out there around what works and what doesn't work for marketing for docs, uh, especially the independent you know, guys out there, whether they're already out there and they're failing at marketing, which I'm, I've been in that boat before, or they're just getting started, uh, which is also a daunting task, like you don't even know where to start. But first, like, tell the audience a little bit about your background you know, and where you were in your career when you started where the, when this idea hatched. Yeah, yeah, no no problem. And I would also add uh, more failures as well. We've, we've pivoted in the process, which I'm sure uh, you're aware of, Aaron. The ultimate goal uh, when we first started Helped was to create a company that helps interventionalists attract, educate, and uh, help niche patient populations. And so there are a lot of digital marketing companies out there with expertise in beauty, things that we see all the time on meta ad platforms, et cetera, but nothing that uh, really helps uh, the interventionalist that's trying to find a UFI patient or a genicular artery embolization patient or a prostate artery embolization patient target those specific patient populations. And so from my perspective, it was, is there a way where we can create something that helps get the word out? You know, in interventional radiology, I think it's very I think it's very unique in that we are hamstrung by a lack of natural referral sources. You know, unlike the Jim Meltons of the world, the vascular surgeons, where if a primary care doctor sees someone with rest pain or a wound, they think this person needs to be sent to vascular surgery. Or um, the our OBGYN colleagues, if someone has, if a if an actual woman, a patient has heavy menstrual bleeding, they think they're OBGYN. We don't have that, and so. That, that was the ultimate goal, Aaron. It was to try to find a unique way uh, for interventionalists to get out in front of our target audience and help people. Were you experiencing frustration in your own practice, like not being able to get in front of patients in that, in that way? Is that kind of what helps stir the, the idea? Or was it, you know, you're hearing, like, for example, back to it was like, for me, it was like, I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. Like, there's no good source to get like practical information other than just meeting people at conferences, we go to a conference once a year. Was it your network they were getting this feedback about, or was it just in your personal frustration in your practice? Yeah. I would say it's it's both. You know, I think any of us that 
have gone through a training program, we realize the limitations uh, of our specialty in terms of not having that natural referral pathway. Twitter uh, accounts like LineMonkey, for instance, that, that frequently talk about the limitations that we have in terms of uh, being able to compete on the clinical side of things. Those certainly influenced my decision to try to, to try to create a company that helps interventionalists build this kind of clinical practice side of things, which all starts with having a patient population. And then absolutely, when I um, first went out into the OBL space in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of my objectives was to try to build a UFI practice. And I very quickly realized how daunting that can be. I actually did find some uh, unique ways to network with OBGYNs, and that became a good referral source for me. But it was frequently the case once we started doing digital marketing, you start realizing, wow, people are not being told uh, about a lot of these interventional procedures. And so it, it was both of them. It was sentiment in the community. It was what I was seeing in clinical practice combined. Did you do any market research around you know, this in terms of like interviewing a bunch of docs, hey, you know, how would your, how, how would your practice be better if you had this solution? Or, uh, you know, how, how did you get that momentum to like actually launch a company right. around this idea? It was talking to docs. And so something that you mentioned earlier was the, uh, the sentiment in the medical, medical community of digital marketing not working. That was something that I had heard. And when we started talking to docs, hey, is this something that would be attractive to you? Universally, people, uh, interventionalists, we want more patients, right? Especially in the independent space. There's not that many things in terms of making sure, let's say, an OBL succeeds. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I don't want to diminish it. There, there, there are a lot of factors. However, one of the key leap of faith hypotheses is, can I create a patient base? All of the other stuff is pretty well validated in terms of how you can do it. And so when we started talking to docs, uh, there were many that had used general agencies before. And one of the constant themes that we heard was this agency helped push a bunch of emails uh, and maybe phone numbers over to my scheduler's front desk, and none of these patients converted to procedures. They weren't, they weren't what I will call a high-quality lead and I don't want to diminish when I, when I say high quality, I'm using a marketing term right now. These are all patients. I just want to say that like the whole goal of this thing is to help patients, but we are talking about marketing. And so I just want to, I want to make sure we're using uh, the right terms. And so when I, when I looked at those experiences, when I looked at my own clinical practice and we started trying to do some marketing, we, it, it, the, the problem became quite obvious to me that most marketing companies are solving part of the problem. They're helping you generate an email address and a phone number, but they are not helping you screen that patient to make sure it's the right patient for you to be spending your time, energy, and effort on. And they're not helping you nurture that patient through what I'll call a, a patient funnel. And what I mean by that is going from the point of clicking on an ad to uh, making sure that a patient has the right insurance, uh, has the right diagnosis, getting to the clinic to see a doctor, going to an MRI, let's say in the case of fibroids, and then ultimately getting on to uh, a procedure when medically necessary. Most marketing companies were just focusing on that top part of the funnel. And so that was the aha for me, Aaron. It was, is there some way that we can kind of combine those two pieces together to create a more effective marketing system? Yeah, because 
that whole top of funnel strategy, you're right. It doesn't really work well for the independent doc who's out in practice. They just basically clog up the system, their, their, their streamlined system with a bunch of referrals that don't really, you know, they, somebody's got to work through all that and, and distill it down to, is this a patient that we even need to see in clinic, right? And, and you're right, those other market agencies are looking at it like, hey, we got you all these leads, all these phone numbers, all these inbound calls and emails. But if it's only like one patient who actually is the right patient to see you and vice versa, then what does that, you know, you're paying for, for that. And that's, yeah, what are you paying for? You're paying right. for a hassle is yeah, what you're paying exactly. for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I would yeah. not spend a dollar on digital marketing unless I could actually track the value of the money that I'm spending. Again, we we are talking about marketing. And so you have to be able to know, is this actually um, something that's helping my clinic or is a detriment? I, I can give you a, a quick kind of example of this that's recently come up with us. We um, we recently started working with a clinic in Atlanta and on uh, $2,000 of ad spend in the meta ad platform, we generated 246 conversations with patients. And so that's either an outbound dial or an SMS text to a patient. 86 of those were qualified leads. So what, what we kind of consider a qualified lead is someone that has a diagnosis, has insurance, and has expressed interest in a procedure. If they don't have those things, honestly, I, I, I would posit it may not be worth your clinic's time to really, really focus on those patients. And of those 86, 18 of those um, were good UFI candidates and were scheduled for, uh, for clinic visits. And so you can imagine if you're sending hundreds of leads over to your front desk and then asking your scheduler that is super burdened with all the other tasks of your clinic to start filtering through those patients, they're going to start calling down a list. They're going to start finding that certain patients are not candidates. Uh, they don't have insurance, et cetera. And then there's going to be patients that miss phone calls. You're going to probably have to put in a system to try to call those patients back. And when they don't answer that time, you're going to want to try something else, maybe SMS texting the patient, maybe emailing. It becomes virtually impossible for the smaller clinics uh, and even for big clinics to kind of um, kind of like manage uh, a robust patient funnel from digital marketing. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's a great example of how it can work if, if it's really focused. I, I kind of want to go through some of the things that are out there and some, some of these things that I've even tried and you can kind of gauge whether or not, you know, or even give advice around it given your, your sort of expertise. And just by the way, are you still practicing? I am. Yeah. 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 I, I, I have not gotten to that level. Uh, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy clinical practice. Are, are you Aaron, by the way? I am, but I'm just doing locums work. And so I cut back to locums work. Yeah. But I mean, it obviously gives you context. It, ideas come from, from actually doing clinical work, right. That can help your platform. I'm sure. And it, it helps you stay in tune with the docs that end up being your customers, right? It helped. But I want to ask you, like, for example, I think a lot of people start out when, when they're, when they're looking at marketing, it's like, how much should I spend on digital marketing versus in-person marketing, right? In-person is very labor intensive, but is there, is there a good algorithm that people should follow even just when they're starting out? It's like, how much should I allocate? It might just be a percentage. How much should I allocate to digital versus in-person to, again, to get those right patients in the door? I think that's, I think it's a really good question. So 
one thing that I've tell anyone that's kind of looking to to foray into digital marketing is it's not a substitute for boots on the ground marketing. The cheapest way to acquire patients is if they are coming to you organically. And if you provide good work to your colleagues uh, out in the community, they are going to start sending you patients and you're not paying anything for it. And so that is, you know, by far the cheapest way to acquire patients is by doing good work, networking, and yeah, just providing a really good service for those uh, for those around you. And so I think that I think that that is critical. Uh, and I would say that that's the first step <laughs> is is make sure that you're doing boots on the ground marketing. Um, and to your point, it is labor intensive. The way that and this was something where I was lucky when I was working in the OBL that we had a uh, we had a boots on the ground marketer that was dedicated to interventional. They would do some diagnostic stuff as well, but one of their primary focuses was helping me set up lunch and learns. That was kind of the expectation that we were uh, aiming for. The conversations that uh, the marketer were having, they had to be meaningful and they had, be, had to be leading to something actionable. And for me, the best way was, is a meeting. The other way that I try to expand myself on the boots on the ground marketing, this is something I do now being in a different practice setting, is I try to set myself goals. Every week right now, I'm trying to reach out to six six ordering providers. And the way that I'm doing that is by reading some diagnostic imaging and telling my diagnostic colleagues to pass over cases that could be good fits for my clinic. And then I make it my goal that I need to reach out to six of these providers um, on a weekly basis. And so, you know, I think there's no substitute for doing that. In terms of um, on the digital marketing side of things, I think if you're in a larger city, the best data that we have, and this is from working with over 25 uh, OBLs on digital marketing specifically, is if you're in a metro population of roughly a million people, and so not, not a city population, a metro population, we're talking Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, any of those sorts of places, you're able to accept a wide insurance mix and you're committed to digital marketing and working through some of the challenges that are going to come with it. I think you should be trying digital marketing. Once you can start allocating roughly around $5,000 a month to digital marketing in one of those metro populations, it's probably going to work if you are, again, if you are dedicated to making it work. And I, I really do want to emphasize that marketing will not work if you're not willing to to go through some of the trials and tribulations of getting it there. Yeah. Two two things that you touched on there that are key. One is the the picking up the phone part. And I think we had somebody recently on the show, I think it was Dave Johnson out of Florida, who was talking about that. Like when he's reading imaging or talking to his his diagnostic partners, like he tries to get on the phone. He feel he helps fill that funnel by talking to referring docs that have already sent them imaging and talking to about disease processes that he could help them with, right? Um, providing a service, not trying to necessarily push a procedure on anybody, but just discussing like, hey, if the, you know, this patient could be a cryoablation candidate, for example, have you considered that? Or have you ever sent a patient for that? Let, you know, I'm happy to give you more information. He's like, all you got to do is just give them information. You're not trying to sell them on a procedure. They're you're just providing value to them. And so I think that's a key point that you just made is is in order to, it'll eventually come. It's not gonna, it may not come immediately. You may not get that patient, but just put some value out there, put some information out there that it's, it's like they used to say, like dropping off papers in the physician's lounge. I don't know if really that's that effective, but like 
I think face-to-face conversations and educating them on what you do, because a lot of times they don't even know what you do, especially a doc on the community in the outpatient setting, you just have to provide that value up front. The other thing that you touched on was investing that money into digital advertising, which admittedly I was really shy about when it came to Google ads, when it came to everything, because you just, we don't know how to do it, right? And that's where maybe they reach out to somebody, you know, like helped or or a company like helped or there's all, like you said, there's all these marketing agencies out there who claim to be experts at it. How do you know what is effective and what's not? Like who, I mean, let's say they don't go with helped. What are some key questions for a doc to ask their marketing agency to say, because some people are locked in, right? Some people are like, hey, helped sounds great and everything, Eric, but I'm locked in with this company. We've already invested $50,000 with them. I, I got all this stuff going on with them. What what are the key things I need to ask them to make sure that you know they're up to speed? I, I, yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind. One, have you done it before in this space? Is this something where, you know, as soon as we enter into an engagement, I'm going to have to be, and I'm I'm taking this from the angle of the doctor now. I'm going to be have to uh, spending a significant portion of my time educating you on kind of what what it is we're trying to capture. And so, one, have you done it before? Two. Do you have any metrics to show your efficacy in the space? Again, in in my experience, a lot of digital marketing firms, and this is hard to do, and that's why not a lot do it, very few track all the way down to the level of converted procedure. And so if you are being quoted, hey, this is the number of uh, leads I was able to generate, what, what is a lead? Uh, is that just you passing over an email address? The reality is where the rubber meets the road in terms of trying to make a decision, am I making a economically smart decision for my practices? If I pay X amount of dollars per month, what is that going to equate to on the back end? And if a marketing agent agency can't tell you that, you know, what what is the what is the ultimate cost per procedure is really at the end of the day, that's kind of what what you're trying to figure out. I would have hesitations and I would ask them kind of what, you know, what what is the suite of services that you're providing and kind of where does your service stop and where am I kind of responsible for everything else? And w- one other thing that I'll, I'll throw in there, I, I, I think it's an important concept to understand the difference between between the cost of a digital lead versus the cost of an organic lead. I, I just, I hear this all the time um, from doctors who have worked with marketing companies and have some level of metrics on the back end in terms of kind of what that cost is. It's really important if you're doing organic SEO, let's say, you know, you're doing you're 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 kind of you're working down an organic pathway and you're doing paid, let's say search or paid social, some sort of paid marketing to split those two costs out. Because if you're not splitting those costs out, you're not going to get a good sense for what is what is the cost for my paid acquisition. And so uh, it's not infrequent that when you ask a clinic to, hey, can we segment these two audiences, they realize they're underwater on their paid side. And the reason that their acquisitional cost is cheaper is because of the organic leads that are coming on. If they've, if they've uh, put out a lot of content, let's say, around a specific space like uterine fibroid embolization, they have a specific website um, that's purely dedicated to that. And so you know, I think I think that's one really important thing too. Is if someone's going to quote you numbers, is that is that paid 
traffic? Uh, or is that some sort of blended the numbers that you're sharing um, based on your example uh, clinics? Is that, a, is that a blended cost of paid and organic? Right. Are they claiming credit for, you know, patients coming from referring docs that they have nothing to do with? That's it. Right. Yeah. Can you, can uh, you track that? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to I want to hear some pitfalls of poor marketing strategies, some things that you see that are tired and worn out. Like I could probably guess some, and I want to know: Does Google Ads fall in that bucket uh, anymore? Because Google Ads has become really expensive, and it's there's a lot of noise out there, right? It's I don't think I think the signal noise ratio is not great uh, when it comes to that sort of advertising. So maybe maybe you can talk about what's not working present day and then where we see the direction going with, you know, what does work and then what's maybe working, what we see as may work in the future. Absolutely. Uh, uh, one thing before I kind of answer this question, I do want to say that I, our expertise at Health at Helped is in paid social. So that's the meta ad platform. That's not to say we've tried. Uh, we haven't tried the other strategies we have. We've tested these things up and down. And so I, I'm not saying that Google doesn't work. I'm sure you could create a funnel where it does. We just haven't found a way to make it cheaper than paid social. I would say Google, in, my, in our experience, it does fall into uh, that category for us. And the reason for that is when you really think about about the search terms that we're going to be bidding on on Google AdWords, uterine fibroid embolization, prostate artery embolization, things of that nature, people are often not searching these specific search ter terms. It is a very, very specific treatment. And so if someone is searching that specific search term, that is a high intent audience, which in some ways that's good. That means that someone is educated, that means that you know they, they've done their research, right? But what that also means at the same time is there are a lot of people bidding for a very small audience. And so what will end up happening often, this was our experience, is you start broadening your search to terms like, I'm going to use uh, uterine fibroids as an example, to uterine fibroids or minimally invasive fibroid treatments, trying to get to a larger target audience, but then you enter into the same problem where you have more people bidding on these terms. And so any way that we've cut it, we have not found a way to make it cheaper than paid social, the meta ad platform. The thing that we particularly, particularly like about paid social is you can tell a user a story. Google ads are very easy to get up because you're literally creating a, a one to two line uh, script. For the meta ad platform, you have to create a engaging and compelling ad. And so the barrier to entry is higher, but there are fewer people that are doing it. And you can also take someone that maybe knows nothing about uterine fibroid embolization. So going back to that Google example, I'm waiting for someone to search this search term, or I'm bidding on these more generic search terms where I'm probably going to encounter resistance due to the number of other people that are uh, in this paid channel. And what I can do in, let's say, Facebook is I can introduce uterine fibroid embolization as a treatment. It's something where I can get out in front of a, of a patient that knows nothing about this 
and I can start educating them from the very beginning. And so that's one of the things that we really like. We personally do not have experience in this, but I think that this is a really unique one. There's a group in Colorado that I hear every time uh, I'm listening to the radio when I'm not listening to Spotify. And uh, from talking to those providers, radio is actually very good for certain target audiences. You know, one of the things that I'm always just trying to think about is put, put my trying to put myself in the shoes of the target audience. Who am I trying to reach? What are the platforms that they may be on? Let's take prostate artery embolization, for instance. There may be a lot of people on the radio listening to channels, you know, I don't know, country channel, you name it, uh, that's an older demographic that may have prostate issues. And so that's kind of the lens that I take it through. But, you know, to discreetly answer your question, I think I think Google is hard now. I think it's very expensive. You make a good point with the the radio stuff. And it's just like, OK, where where are these patients? You know, where's their entertainment? Right. And and there's actually a very successful IR in the Dallas area who her focus is entirely on UPs. And from what I hear, she uses radio and it works really well. Uh, just, you know, certain radio stations. And I think that some people may see that as like old fashioned or tired, but if it works, it works, you know, and right. And so I guess is that, are those the kinds of tips that you guys are giving docs that, that join helped depending on their location and what their, you know, patient, what, you know, who they're trying to reach? I would say the, you know, from, from our perspective, we are primarily going, again, when we enter into certain markets, we're very bullish that we're going to be able to generate the top funnel volume um, that we need. And again, it's it's variable based on region. You never know until you try. Um, and so even small regions, this can, you know, I, I don't want to diminish that small regions can work. Maybe maybe UFI doesn't work, but maybe PAE does. You have to test. Most of our feedback when we are starting to uh, work with a clinic is to really focus on the bottom of the funnel. That's what we want you thinking about. We want you thinking about, can we use, can we get your clinic staff to use a CRM, um, a client relationship manager, some way of tracking patients on, uh, over time? Can we get your clinic staff to reach out uh, within an hour of a lead being passed over? It really comes down, and I, I truly do believe this, that if you, if you have tight backend operations, you're willing to track patients over time, you have a means of screening patients so that this high touch back end effort, you know, it's going to be focused on the right people. Marketing will work if uh, you're performing it in the right side of service. Um, the OBL, because the doctor is getting a global payment, is getting a technical plus pro fee, essentially. The unit economics work that, uh, you know, you don't have to have the most robust top funnel, but if you're getting the right people in, you're processing them, it will often work. And one thing I want to clarify for the audience, sure. when you say you say meta meta ad uh, platform. Meta ad platform. So you're talking about the artist formerly known as Facebook. The artist formerly known as Facebook. <laughs> Mark okay, cool. Zuckerberg, Gage yes. Fighter. That's who I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, yeah. perfect. That's what I I was like because I I saw that on your website too, Meta. Yeah. And I was like, are they just so you're talking about Facebook and Instagram? Facebook, Instagram, exactly. The, those are kind of our, our primary, that's our sweet spot, you know, and for Google, you know, you could be thinking about it as paid search or so, uh, paid search on Google and then YouTube, for instance, you know, that's kind of their ad yeah, platform, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, because I, I noticed on your website, you know, you mentioned, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, and then you also mentioned TikTok. 
TikTok to me is a big mystery box because uh, those other ones, Facebook, Instagram, Google, Twitter, even I'm uh, LinkedIn. I'm used to seeing ads that are that can be a little bit of everything. TikTok, I see, I feel like is like purely entertainment. And so if I see something that's like a medical, anything that's medical or like professional on TikTok, it just kind of throws me off a little bit. You're just like, ah, it just doesn't fit, you know? And so I want to get, I want to see what your take is on TikTok. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe TikTok is evolving to be, you know, something very similar to like, you know, you know Instagram evolved and morphed into what it is today. It, it didn't always be like that with, with the, the, the variety of ads. So I want to hear your intake, your your input on sort of where we are with advertising on these platform, on these different platforms, specifically TikTok. Sure, sure. We should probably take that off our website. Yeah, you you caught a typo uh, uh, yesterday, and that's another one that we should we should probably take off. We explored TikTok, and there uh, there is one major limitation with TikTok right now, and that is they consider procedural-based advertising, uh, the same as surgical-based advertising for like a surgery, let's say, which I, I totally understand. Um, they're, they're similar and dissimilar in some ways, but they prohibit advertising for, let's say, a surgical-based procedure, and procedures, procedures often get lumped into the same category. And so that's just kind of like a, a off-the-top, it's going to make it much harder to get ads approved on the TikTok platform. Do I think it could be, if if that changes as they grow, which I suspect it will, do I think it could be an effective platform? I think it could be if you are bullish on your target audience consuming content on that platform. And so do I think TikTok is going to work for prostate artery embolization? Probably not. I, I, I don't know. I don't know many 65-year-old plus men that are <laughs> on TikTok. I, I could be totally wrong. But for uterine fibroid embolization or let's say vein treatments, that's pretty interesting to me. And I would I, I think it's worth testing down that pathway. Okay. So tell me more. I was reading about this on your website as well, is these the digital eligibility quizzes for screening, which I think is an is an interesting concept. And it's almost like, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just looking at examples, it's like you're hooking somebody with a question like, are you are you tired of waking up and peeing too many times in the night? Which, yes, yes, I am. I guess it's piques the curiosity of people and they go, they jump in there and they might take a quiz. How does that implement it? Like, how does that work to drive leads? Sure. So- the primary there there are a couple of purposes for us to do quizzes the the number one purpose on a pure strategic level is there's actually two one is people like taking quizzes and so from getting someone from an ad you got to get them somewhere you got to drop them off onto either your homepage a form fill or in our case we drop them into a quiz um, because again, we've tested down all of those different pathways. And what we have found is if you can take someone from an ad and put them into what I will call a vertical based experience where they go from an ad about, let's say, prostate artery embolization, minimally invasive treatment to understand your eligibility. And then really the only way they can go is through the quiz. We have found that to be a more effective way to 
engage patients versus let's say the same ad was served and dropping someone onto a landing page on a website about prostate artery embolization. Quite frankly, there's too much variability. There are too many options that a patient can can take if you drop them onto a landing page. Um, they can consume that content. Maybe then they hop onto Google. They're not really finding out their eligibility for something necessarily on a landing page, or it's hard to find uh, find that information or to, to mentally figure out if, if I am or am not a candidate. Maybe they're clicking onto the doctor's pages. There's just a lot of different paths they can take. And so what we have found is the most effective way to get someone to keep going down your experience with the ultimate goal of getting them scheduled for a visit uh, is to put them into a quiz-based experience that is engaging, that's educating them uh, about a procedure in a disease state, and then very importantly, making sure that they're actually someone that's the right type of candidate for your practice. You know, if we're putting someone into a prostate artery, you know, we serve a prostate artery embolization quiz, um, and we're sending females, that makes no sense, right? And so you have to have some sort of way, some sort of filtration mechanism to make sure that you're actually sending the right patients. And so whenever we build a quiz, our goals are quite quite simple. We're trying to understand, is someone symptomatic uh, for a disease state that they're diagnosed with? You know, our quizzes are not supposed to be diagnostics. We're typically looking for someone um, that has been diagnosed with a disease state. And those are the people that we're going to focus on. We're going to make sure that they're actually symptomatic with the right set of symptoms. We're going to make sure that they carry the insurance that you, the provider, have. Because again, it doesn't make sense for us to send someone if you don't accept their insurance plan. We should get that person to someone else. Those are really, and then that they're interested in seeing a provider. Is this something where, are they just in an exploratory phase right now? Or is this something where, you know, they're motivated and ready to take action? That's kind of the the purpose of those quizzes. Yeah. Have you ever had, so is it set up? So like, let's say a patient takes a quiz and they're on a certain insurance that your, your customer, the physician or group in that area does not take. Will you then connect that patient, helping the patient, even though they're not a customer, find the right doc in that area? Like, do you have a pathway for that, for that patient? We, uh, we used to do that more, more frequently. What we realized just from a manpower perspective, it's totally unrealistic <laughs> for us to be doing it. You know, um, we can't be, you know, totally altruistic in this. We, we really do have to, for our paying customers, we have to focus on, on them. And so generally what we will do is we'll give them some sort of idea of their candidacy and we'll let them know the next step. You know, you need to reach out with someone that has X insurance plan. But it's all automated uh, for for those patients where um, you know those criteria are not met. We're still going to try to give them something valuable. But you know our our system is truly a combination of automations plus human resources on the back end, and uh, it would just be way too expensive for us to right. be devoting human resources to that. No, I I that makes total sense. I was thinking if it was a way to actually possibly drive leads for you for new customers if you just sent them one you know, or something, you know, if there's some way to, but that, that would be challenging, I guess. There's something there. There's something there. Uh, we, we, we've thought about it too. We just haven't, uh, you know how it goes. It's like, you know, what is the hottest burning fire? Um, and so we haven't, you know, figured out how to kind of like unlock that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. Uh, and then the, the last, I mean, we're coming up on the hour was one of the other things I wanted to talk about. I didn't even know what a CRM was until we started 
uh, selling advertising on Backtable. And, you know, you guys talk, this is something else that you mentioned on the, or they mentioned on the website is, you know, tracking progress with the CRM for efficient follow-up. I never saw a practice do this. Um, Even there's even some small, there's some sales guys that I've talked to for some smaller device companies who don't even have like a system-wide CRM. Talk through what a CRM is for the, for the docs who don't know and how that can help them with tracking leads. Totally. And, and, and it's crazy, right? Now that you know yeah. what a CRM is, you're oh, like, it's like how, could, how could you live a, without a CRM? You know? I need a CRM for my household, right? Like, yeah, how, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, right. Like how many, um, I would challenge any provider, you know, think back six months and if you can, it, it, has there been a time where you've said, huh, what, what happened with that patient? Why did I not see them? That was like someone I totally think needed a procedure. What happened? That's the value of a CRM. A CRM is some mechanism for you to track patients over time and where they are at in their, we'll call it a treatment journey. And so is that someone, uh, how many people at any given time do I have scheduled for consultations? How many people do I have scheduled for imaging, uh, scheduled for procedures? How many people have missed imaging and I need to revisit? A CRM is a way for you to understand in high fidelity where your patients are at at any given time. And that's something that we uh, try to help pay. We've kind of built a custom CRM because it's such an important piece of the puzzle, in my mind, on making uh, making sure digital advertising works. And so we actually help clinics set up a CRM to get that fidelity of tracking. Um, it improves our outcomes in terms of being able to generate meaningful returns for our providers. It also helps patients because they're not just like getting lost to follow up. And, you know, the, the one thing I, I just do want to mention there is we often encounter resistance on the CRM side of things because what a provider is thinking, and I totally get it, is this is another task that I've got to put on someone in my clinic, right? Like this is, an, this is another thing that someone has to do, but I cannot emphasize enough the importance of, um, of doing patient tracking and buying in to the entire funnel. An example of this would be we've got a, uh, a clinic in Florida uh, who is now at the point where they are spending $20,000 a month on advertising. 15000 of that is going directly to ad spend. 5000 of that is a management fee for us to kind of set everything up, manage it over time. I can't tell you how many times with this clinic, I, you know, we would hop on review calls and be like, he's a churn risk. You know, this, this is someone that, and this is when we started at $2,000 a month of ad spend. You know, he's not going to buy into the system. And, you know, our results, they're, they're, they're not where they need to be. But that provider specifically, when looking at the funnel, um, saw the value and how patients were starting to matriculate through that funnel to continue to hammer at saying, hey, I'm going to find the right personnel in my, uh, in my staff to manage this CRM, and I am going to buy into that. Um, to give you an example of the effectiveness of that, over the last two months, uh, this provider has completed 15 embolizations. And then there are, based on, you know, just where we have spent ad spend right now, there are another 22 that are likely going to be embolization procedures. And so you can start to calculate the value of really following patients over time. If you actually look at that from like a top line perspective, assuming an embolization is roughly $8,000 and that can vary, that's $120,000 of top line revenue for that clinic. And so, I mean, that is the power of 
digital marketing, you know, if I if I approach any most IR, I should not say any IR. Um, there are outliers, but for most IRs, if I said if I can put ten more consultations on your books for UFE this month, is there any other way you can get that? They would say no. They would they would totally say no. And so you have to be willing to say, all right, you know, as we're sending leads, where is the process breaking down? Are they missing consultations? Is there a way that I can engage them better? Am I, you know, invested in this tracking? Our goal is to help you with that. But if you invest in that process, there's no other way to kind of grow that top end as fast as you can through digital channels, unless you're, you know, a Slonum or, you know, certain providers in areas that have really devoted their practice to a specific treatment type. They're going to have huge organic amounts of traffic, but that's not your typical OBL. Yeah. I see you guessed who it was in Dallas I was talking about earlier. <laughs> that's super interesting. Just for the audience, what does CRM stand for again? Client Relationship Management System. That That's what a, uh, a CRM is um, or a Customer Relationship Management System. And so it's a way for you to manage your customers or in our case, our patients, you know, maybe maybe a PRM would be a better term, but like that's how we use it in medicine. Yeah, which is completely different from an EHR, right? And, you know, I think docs, some docs I can imagine pushing back and saying, well, we should not be seeing our patients as clients or customers. Again, you're running a business and how are you going to be able to not only bring patients in the door, but retain them over time, especially if it's a disease, a chronic disease process, you need to be able to track them in a in a productive, ben- mutually beneficial way, right? And it's it's it is crazy if you think about it, like that we we just think oh we just plug everything in the HR, we you know we have dates when they come back for their for their appointments, but you know we don't need like we don't need to keep track of everything that they're that, that they've had done and where we found them or any of that stuff. It's kind of important if you're going to run a business. You know? Crazy. And if you're going to yeah. provide good patient care. Uh, I yeah. remember when I was in Albuquerque, we did a retrospective data poll for six months. And we found out there were 100 patients where we had no idea where they were. That was like a light bulb to me. You know, we've actually rolled out an offering through Helped where we called our activation plan, where we literally help providers engage their existing uh, patient base. It's, again, from the business com- component, you know, if you want to be able to help patients, you have to be able to keep the lights on. It's 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 necessary from a business component to think this way, but also from just providing good patient care. It's better if you're actually helping people out, uh, remembering where they are. Pa- patients forget, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm a terrible patient when it comes to that stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think it's, it's incredibly interesting to think about that. And I've never heard a marketing agency bring that, bring up a CRM you know, until, until you guys. And so I thought that, I thought that was unique. How did you guys, is that, was that just something that you evolved over time or was it a light bulb event? But like, where did the idea for incorporating CRM into your services come about? It, uh, it started when we started failing our obligations to clinics to return a positive ROI event. Very early on, we started realizing realizing we can generate these leads. But then when we tried to do a retrospective data poll and say, what actually happened to these patients? We were like, we have no idea. And so it was kind of like this, what is the hottest burning 
backfire uh, at any stage of the startup where sometimes it was like, all right, we've got to figure out a better way to generate leads. And then we start realizing, okay, we're doing a good job of generating top funnel leads, but what's happening to these people? Holy crap, we need to manage these patients more. We need to dig in. We need to figure out where where the patients are and help the clinic do that um, because it is hard to do. And so it was this back and forth that ultimately led to kind of the the synergy of the two um, of the two things. I mean, if you look at any large scale digital health startup, Hims, Roman, you know, Smile Direct Club, you better believe they're managing all of these people in a CRM. Uh, you know, and and the reason they're doing that is because they know it's an effective way to create a digital funnel. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic, Eric. Um, well, congratulations, you guys, on uh, what you've built. Any final thoughts on uh, what's your you know vision for the future of the platform? Anything? Is there anything else like out there? I mean, we've mentioned these market agencies, but is there anything else like it? And I know you, the plan is probably to build beyond interventional into multiple specialties, but what's your vision for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would I would love it at some point if um, if we could move into the ambulatory surgery center setting, helping providers that, you know, work out of there. We're, we're kind of unique in IR that we can do so much stuff out of office. But the goal is, is to help other other providers as well. Um, Aaron, as you, as you may know, through your experience, you know, the bigger the customer, the harder it is to set up a deal and, you know, the more red tape and all of that sort of stuff. And so we would love it if we could ultimately expand into the ambulatory surgery center space and then the hospital space as well. You know, anyone can benefit from this type of digital marketing. Um, it's just, you know, what, uh, again, you know, what, what do we need to be laser focused on right now? Where is our kind of like target audience? It remains in that OBL space, but you're, you're, you're spot on. We would love to, we'd love to get all providers using a type of platform like this to raise disease awareness. Yeah, one one burning question I have is so you know what happens if you you know, just thinking about Dallas is like what happens when you have competing customers in the same you know city? Yeah, it's a it's a great question and and literally it comes up in about every sales call we have um, and rightfully so you know that's that's how someone should be thinking about it. We have created a unique provision called limited exclusivity, and so what we do is is the first provider we work with. We geofence off a region within an area. Let's uh, let's say Atlanta, for instance. That's a great example for UFE, where we know Atlanta has massive volume for UFE, and we tell that provider for uh, a three to four month trial, we are not going to engage with any other provider in that market. We will see performance over a four month period of time, and if it is super super obvious that the market can handle more ad spend. And you can figure this out. Uh, it's pretty easy to figure out, you know, what percentage of the target market you're targeting on, let's say, a meta, you know, Facebook, for instance. We will then approach that provider and say, hey, you've got two options right now. We, we understand that you want to keep your exclusivity within this market. However, us as a company in a market like Atlanta, we know it can sustain more volume and we have to protect our ability to grow. And so here are the options. One, we can continue to market at your current level, and we will always try to protect your results. However, in that option, we are allowed to approach other providers to basically sell another marketing unit is what we call it. Or if you want to maintain your limited exclusivity, we have to increase ad spend. I don't know if I explained that super well, but you know, it's trying to give the, the provider that hopped on in the beginning the right of first refusal on increasing ad spend 
as a company, though, you know, in, in these large markets, it's not right for the company, it's not right for patients, and it's not right for other providers. If, you know, in Atlanta, you're spending $2,000 on ad spend and a provider's kind of like using that to jail off the area right. in a competitive way where you're like, this, this market could handle thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 of ad spend. Yeah, that's how we do it. It's the best way. <laughs> it's always an awkward conversation, but uh, but we get through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it makes sense. So, all right, well, that's all I got, man. Thank you so much. Anything else? Any last parting words, uh, words of advice for, for the uh, physician audience? Yeah, I think, I think it's worth giving digital marketing a try and, and just also know that if you're going to do it, commit to it, commit to it because that's the only way it's going to work. And I'm not saying, you know, if, if, if at four months you're looking at your funnel and you're saying, gosh, we don't have anyone that's even to the MRI imaging step or no one's through a procedure. We don't have any procedures pending. Maybe for that particular uh, procedure, maybe it's it's not worth it, you know, or maybe you should rather than trying to find UFI patients, you should try, try to find prostate artery embolization patients. But I can say almost universally, the times when we have the most success is when a clinic feels like a partner to us. And, and you know, I think that's like a very specific distinction where it's we're in this together we're gonna figure it out <laughs> you know we're gonna you know we're gonna continue to look at this fun- funnel on a weekly basis and we're say where are people getting hung up is it the mri imaging step all right what can we do there you know is it is it no shows okay what can we do there it really is that tight collaboration um that i think is necessary and so that would be my last word if you're gonna foray into it which i think um i think it's worth it for obls just know that you know that partnership mentality giving it a try um, letting it play out a little bit is really important. Yeah, for sure. It's not going to happen overnight. So, I mean, I that's the whole, I, I guess that would be a key question from the physician perspective is like, are we looking at three months, six months before we pull this? You know, at what point can you say, ah, you know, maybe this isn't a good fit. I know that's rare for you guys, but it happens. Though. It happens. I, I yeah. would, it, it happens. It absolutely does. And I, I'd be lying if I said it doesn't. And, you know, it's one of those things where as we've been doing it longer, we've realized some of those keys to success. We, I would say we rarely have a negative outcome if clients are very committed and we're in the right geography. In smaller, in smaller geographies, it's a little bit more touch and feel. You could have a clinic that's very devoted to making it work, but there may just not be the volume there for a a particular procedural line. And so I just want to clarify, it does happen. But to answer your question, um, what is an appropriate length of time? This is another one that we just learned through trial and error. You know, in the very beginning, we'd say, hey, we're putting you on a one month, a one month contract. Let's see where we're at in one month. And you're looking back at one month, the provider's like, dude, I haven't done a procedure. And and we're, we're looking at the funnel, you know, from some of our other uh, examples of successful clinics. And we're like, dude, your funnel looks amazing. You know, you've got, you've got seven consultations on the book. You've got two people through the MRI imaging step. And so, but they haven't gotten to a, per, a procedure, which was one of the unique things with digital marketing in medicine, insurance-based procedures, where there's a workup involved is, you know, where you are going to see your return, it's it's often far later than when you're actually spending the dollars. And so you just kind of have to know that, that, that going into it, that's the way it works. And so what we've kind of found is in three months, you should have a good sense if you're willing to be intellectually honest and look at the funnel and say, hey, how many people uh, am I bringing in the top end? How many consultations do I have scheduled? Do I have any procedures on the books? Have any procedures actually converted? how many people are in the MRI imaging step, you should have some sort of sense 
And often you do have to still project at that point. And we can give data, comparative data, because we've done it across the nation to show how this works now. But I would say, you know, at least three months to say, what does this snapshot in time look like? It is often the case that when you look, we, we see this not infrequently, where at three months, you basically, maybe you've completed a procedure, but you've got a lot of patients that are kind of matriculating through your pro, through kind of the, the funnel, if you will. And then if you take that retrospective snapshot at five months, it's like, holy crap, it, it makes sense, you know, or six months, it makes sense. And so that's, I, I know it's not like a, a perfect answer it, because again, you're, you are having to project sometimes, but I would say at least give it three months. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your, your time and expertise. And uh, hopefully we'll, this won't be the last time you've gone back to it. Maybe, maybe next time it's a clinical topic, you know? I like it, Aaron. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right, man. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Jacob Fleming, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon, with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim Louie Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. Hey everyone, it's Aaron Fritz and Chris Beck. We've been working on something new and exciting for our colleagues and trainees. Quick story, last year, I had read somewhere that the volume of medical information doubles every 73 days. 73 days. It hit me that it's really difficult to keep up, and it got me thinking about Backtable. We are getting good, practical knowledge from our podcast, but there's room for improvement in them as an educational resource. We felt like we owed it to you, our audience, to build on the podcast to address this need, and that's what we're doing with Backtable Plus. Exactly, Aaron. Backtable Plus is for doctors who are seeking to elevate their practice and sharpen their skills by learning from their peers. We've created focused, curated courses on interventional and endovascular procedures vetted by Backtable's network of practicing experts, and we're really proud to be able to share that with you all. It's live now at backtable.com. Tap the link and just click on courses at the top. Yeah, in addition to getting this information in a concise course format, you get CME for it. I figured we're educating ourselves constantly online. It sure would be nice to get credit for it. Partnering with CME if I made this happen. There are three years worth of CME credits already live in the platform today. These courses are live right now. Find the link or type in backtable.com and click the tab that says courses. And that's it. We also made a mobile app and you can grab that from either Apple or Android's app store as well. Couple more things. From now until SIR in late March, users will get 50% off of the annual subscription. A great way to use your education funds. And the first 25 physicians to sign up, you guessed it, a signature limited edition Backtable Plus hoodie. Only a few of these, so get them while you can. Can't wait to see you there. Just go to backtable.com and click on courses at the top.